Welcome to Music History Monday for May 1st, 2023. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is The Enduring Miracle. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash Robert Greenberg Music, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. On May 1st, 1786, on what was also a Monday, 237 years ago today, a miracle was heard for the first time. Wolfgang Mozart's opera, The Marriage of Figaro, received its premiere at the Bergtheater in Vienna. Some 100 years later, Johannes Brahms, 1833-1897, wrote this about the marriage of Figaro. Quote, Every number in Figaro is for me a marvel. I simply cannot fathom how anyone could create anything so perfect. Such a thing has never been done, not even by Beethoven. Unquote. Herr Brahms, when you're right, you're right, and in this case, you are so right. 237 years after the premiere, Brahms's awe of Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro mirrors our own. For many of us, myself included, it is simply the greatest opera ever composed. Composing an Italian language opera for the Viennese. On May 7, 1783, some three years before the premiere of The Marriage of Figaro, Mozart wrote the following in a letter to his father back in Salzburg. Quote, the Italian opera Buffa here in Vienna is very popular. I have looked through more than a hundred libretti, meaning literally little book, the script of an opera. But I have found hardly a single one that satisfies me. That is to say, there are so many changes that would have to be made that any poet, even if he were to undertake to make them, would find it easier to write an entirely new text. Our poet here, now, is a certain de Ponte. He has an enormous amount to do, and he is at present writing a libretto for Salieri, which will take him two months. He has then promised to write a libretto for me. But who knows if he will be able to keep his word or whether he will want to. As you know, these Italians are very civil to one's face. I should dearly love to show what I can do in an Italian opera." Unquote. Yeah, that Mozart would dearly love to compose an Italian opera for the Viennese was an understatement. Desperately want would have been a far more appropriate way to put it. When the 27-year-old Mozart wrote that letter to his father in May of 1783, he had been living and working as a freelance musician in Vienna for almost exactly two years. The young dude was at the time filled with inestimable energy, ambition, and of course, fathomless talent. Italian language opera was the most prestigious and potentially profitable entertainment medium of the day. And Mozart, 
desperately wanted a piece of that action. But he was also savvy enough to know that composing an Italian language opera in the 1780s for the Viennese was an entirely different ball of notes than composing one for audiences in Salzburg, Munich, and even Milan, which he had done already. He was no longer a child prodigy for whom the composition of any opera would stun audiences merely by dint of its existence. By the 1780s, he was a seasoned pro, composing for a Viennese audience that was, at the time, arguably the most discriminating one in Europe. Consequently, Mozart knew that when the time came for him to throw his compositional hat into the Viennese ring, pun intended, by composing an Italian language opera for the toughest crowd this side of the Roman Colosseum. It couldn't be just any opera. It would have to represent his best work, and as such, it would have to be based on a really good story with a libretto by a first-rate poet, which is why, during the course of his letter to his father, Mozart mentioned Lorenzo de Ponti. The official poet, meaning the official librettist, of the Viennese court. Lorenzo de Ponti, 1749-1838 We must give credit to where credit is due. Lorenzo de Ponti, the man who wrote the libretti for Mozart's operas The Marriage of Figaro, Don Giovanni, and Così fan tutte, single-handedly made opera buffa, Italian-language comic opera, high literary art. His birth name was Emanuele Corneliano. He was born into a Jewish family on March 10, 1749, in the town of Senada, in the foothills of the Alps in northeastern Italy. Today, the town is known as Vittorio Veneto. When Emanuele was 14, his father, Jeremia, a tanner by trade, converted the family to Catholicism because it was the only way to get Emanuele and his brothers into school. Emanuele adopted the name of the Bishop of Senada, Lorenzo de Ponti, and it was as Lorenzo de Ponti that he entered the seminary school at Senada at the age of 15. In 1773, at the age of 24, de Ponti was ordained a priest, and he was sent to Venice to complete his priestly studies. Whoa, talk about putting a fox in the henhouse, or more accurately, a rooster in the henhouse. As it turned out, de Ponti had three great loves in his life, classical literature, liberal politics, and married women. He had affairs all over Venice, and in 1779, at the age of 30, things caught up with him, and he was run out of Venice for adultery and banned from showing his face in that magnificent city for the next 15 years. De Ponti knocked around Europe for two years, no longer wearing his priestly cassock, writing libretti and poetry and doing translations. He ended up in Vienna in 1781 at the age of 32, where he secured an appointment as a librettist for the State Theatre, 
where, in short order, he became the protege of the court composer Antonio Salieri, 1750-1825. to Lorenzo da Ponte arrived in Vienna just a few months before Mozart settled there permanently, and he left Vienna in 1792, just a few months after Mozart's death. Da Ponte experienced great artistic success in Vienna, but he was the object of great intrigues as well. In 1792, having made many more enemies than friends and deeply in debt, Da Ponte fled Vienna with his new bride in tow, an Englishwoman named Nancy Grahl. They settled in London, where, among other activities, Da Ponte opened an Italian-language bookstore. In 1805, again in debt and one small step ahead of his creditors, the now 56-year-old Da Ponte moved, or should we say vamoosed, to the United States. He tended bar and opened a grocery store in Elizabeth, New Jersey. From there, he moved west to Sunbury, Pennsylvania, where he ran a general store. He also had various business dealings in Philadelphia, all of which went belly up. Lorenzo da Ponte was many things, but a savvy businessman he was not, for which we must be grateful. He then moved to New York City, became an American citizen, and rededicated his life to Italian literature. In doing so, he became an important teacher and a major cultural force in his adopted country. In 1825, at the age of 76, he became the first professor of Italian language and literature at Columbia College in New York City. That same year, 1825, he produced the first full-length performance of Don Giovanni to be seen slash heard in the United States, in New York City. In 1833, at the age of 84, Da Ponte founded and oversaw the construction of the Italian Opera House in New York City. Located on the northwest corner of Leonard and Church Streets in what today is Tribeca in Lower Manhattan, it was the first purpose-built opera theater in the United States. Lorenzo da Ponte died in New York City on August 17, 1838, at the age of 89, having outlived Wolfgang Mozart by nearly 47 years. He was one of the greatest librettists in the history of opera, a man who seemed to have known everyone, done everything, and been everywhere during his long and extraordinary life. Mozart, de Ponte, and the Marriage of Figaro. We'll let de Ponte himself explain the gestation of the marriage of Figaro as written in his memoirs. Quote, in conversation with me one day, Mozart asked me whether I could easily make an opera from a comedy by Beaumarchais, The Marriage of Figaro. I liked the suggestion and promised to write one. But there was a very great difficulty to overcome. A few days previous, the emperor, Joseph II, had forbidden the company at the German theater to perform the comedy, which was deemed too licentiously written 
for a self-respecting audience. Unquote. We pause. Pierre-Augustin Caron de Beaumarchais's play, written in 1778, is a scathing, highly politicized indictment of his contemporary French aristocracy. The fact that the play is set in Spain fooled no one. Everyone understood who the marriage of Figaro was satirizing. It was Napoleon Bonaparte himself who later said that the play was, quote, the revolution already in action, unquote. When the French king, Louis XVI, read it, he exclaimed, quote, This is detestable. It will never be played, unquote. Instead, private performances were given in France until the king relented and allowed the marriage of Figaro to be freely performed in 1784. Two German translations appeared immediately. Nine months after the play opened in Paris, the Austrian Emperor Joseph II banned its performance in his lands. Back to de Ponte's account. Quote, How then? To propose Figaro to the Emperor for an opera? I proposed writing the words and the music secretly and then awaiting a favorable opportunity to show them to the directors of the opera or the emperor himself, for which step I assumed the responsibility. I set to work accordingly, and as fast as I wrote the words, Mozart set them to music. In six weeks, everything was in order. Seizing the opportunity, I went to offer Figaro to the emperor. What? he said. But this is the marriage of Figaro. I have just forbidden the German troop to use it. Yes, sire, I rejoined. But I was writing an opera and not a play. I had to omit many scenes and to cut others quite considerably. I have omitted or cut anything that might offend good taste or public decency. The music, I may add, seems to me marvelously beautiful. Good. If that be the case, I will rely on your good taste as to the music and on your wisdom as to the morality. Send the score to the copyist. Unquote. Now, as we might expect, de Ponte's account does indeed indulge in literary license. He was, after all, a writer. In fact, the creation of the opera was what we might call a badly kept secret. Certainly, any number of people knew what Mozart and de Ponte were working on, and while Mozart managed to compose a considerable portion of the opera in the six weeks de Ponte claimed, the entire job of composing from start to finish took him six months, from the end of October 1785 to April 29, 1786. All sorts of intrigues accompanied the premier production of Figaro. Mozart, 29 years old when he began its composition, was viewed by the Italian directors of the Italian Opera Theater in Vienna as an upstart, a young whippersnapper German-speaking composer of piano concerti who is attempting to muscle in on their territory. 
Certain administrators of the Italian opera went so far as to demand that cuts be made to Mozart's Figaro. Mozart was predictably infuriated by it all, as touchy as gunpowder, according to the tenor Michael Kelly. It was Emperor Joseph II himself, who, having attended the dress rehearsal, along with what was described as half the Viennese aristocracy, who saw to it that the cuts were restored and that the opera was performed as written. Let us make no mistake about it. The marriage of Figaro was new, contemporary opera. Its dramatic scope, its harmonic language, its musical complexity and sheer length were unlike anything that had ever been heard before. De Ponte's libretto was a masterful adaptation of Beaumarchais' play. He shortened it, reduced its number of characters, tightened its dramatic structure, and removed most of its political references without damaging its satirical character. Now, for his part, Mozart had almost no interest in politics to underscore that disinterest. His voluminous letters contain not a single reference to either the American or French revolutions. What fascinated Mozart were turns of plot, characterization, and relationships, and Beaumarchais' play and de Ponte's libretto gave Mozart all the grist he needed to produce an operatic masterwork. That's because, in the end, it is Mozart's extraordinary music that brings life to the story, humanity to the characters, and dramatic edge to their relationships. Oh my goodness, to have been in that audience at Vienna's Berg Theater 237 years ago today, hearing the marriage of Figaro for the first time. Tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post will pick up from here and will recommend Jean-Pierre Ponel's inspired video production of The Marriage of Figaro, starring Hermann Prey as Figaro, Mirella Freni as Susanna, Dietrich Fischer-Dieskau as Count Almaviva, Kiri Tikanawa as Contessa Almaviva, Maria Ewing as Cherubino, and the Vienna Philharmonic and the Vienna State Opera Chorus, conducted by Karl Böhm. Until then, thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.